so happy to be able to teach this message to you guys tonight. I want to let you know that there is a stirring and excitement going on behind the scenes at Compass Church. There's a stirring of the Spirit of God. There is a stirring up of the anointing, corporately and individually, in Compass Church. And so I want to ask you, what is the anointing? What does it mean to walk in the anointing? The book of Acts has uh, a lot of amazing, miraculous, miraculous stories. It's, it's an exciting book to read. And the, the moves of God that you see in there, the miracles that happened during the time of the early church are just awesome. And recently, Pastor Allen and I have been kind of wondering, why was the church of Acts so much more, or maybe seemed like it was so much more powerful than today's church? Nowhere in the scripture does it say that the miracles will cease on such and such of a day, or that healing was for today in the book of Acts, but Tomorrow it's going to be shut off. No more healing. That, that's ridiculous. Doesn't say that. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And so there's no reason why the church today shouldn't walk in the same manifestations. So, so why? Why does it look so different today than it did then? Well, the answer is this. We have not preached the same message as the early church. Think about that. That doesn't mean that Pastor Allen and myself and any teacher here is not preaching the word. Yes, we are. But as far as the message of Christ, we're not teaching that the way they did in the early church. Think about Peter and John. They didn't have a Bible yet. Paul had not even written the letters to the churches yet. And so what is it that they were preaching that was so awesome, so great, to get all those people saved? Before Peter, before Paul, before John, before they wrote and distributed any of the letters to the apostles, or the, the letters of the apostles to the churches, the church was preaching Christ, the message of Christ. Christ, that word. Who he was, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he provides, the anointing. And who we are because of him. That simple message was enough to see thousands upon thousands of people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Listen, the word Christ, understand this. The word Christ refers to the Lord Jesus. We've even seen the word Christ used in some denominational names but very very few people know 
what the word means, much less understands the meaning behind the word Christ. That's because Christ is not really an English word. It's a Greek word. And I don't understand the some translations of the Bible have neglected to, to translate it for so long, really, that really a lot of generations of Christians have missed out on the, the revelation of what the word Christ means. If you ask most people today, what is Christ? They would say it's just Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. We've used it as a religious title. But the plain truth is that Christ means anointed, or in completion it means the anointed one and his anointing. Now, in general terms, the word anoint is not a spiritual word. In fact, it actually means poured over, smeared on, and rubbed in. Like when you go to the beach, you anoint yourself with sunblock lotion or sun tanning lotion, whichever you prefer. But you anoint yourself with whatever product you're using. You, you pour it on, you smear it around, and you rub it in, right? When you begin to talk about Jesus being the Christ, the one that was sent by God and anointed with God's delivering power, the word then becomes very special. It takes on a different type of significance. Not because it's some mystical thing, not because it's some religious term, but because what the anointing of God can do. Jesus was basically telling the people of Nazareth that God is poured on and smeared on and rubbed all over me. So in Scripture, when you see this word Christ, I want you to always think anointed one and his anointing. Jesus, the anointed one and his anointing. So where does this anointing where is it? What's it for? What does it do? How does it work? Rhetorical questions for you tonight. I want you to begin to think about the anointing much more than you have before. Let's start in 1 John two eighteen through 27. It says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist... Or in other words, the anti-anointed one. Anti-Christ would mean anti-anointed one, right? The Antichrist is coming. Even now, men, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? 
He is Antichrist who de- denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also abide in the Son and the Father. And this is a promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Now listen. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Okay, this is a warning against who might come along to try to deceive you. Listen, it says, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. All right, so let's start by saying, where is the anointing? Where is the anointing? It abides in you. In you. It says, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. And then it goes on to say, and you need not that any man teach you. That just means you don't need someone to tell you what's right And what's wrong? The anointing in you leads and guides you and shows you, you already know by the anointing what's right and what's wrong. You don't need a teacher to say this is right or this is wrong. That's your moral compass. Jesus is anointed, the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and the the Holy Ghost is the anointing and it abides in you. The anointing's in you. Say, the anointing is in me. The anointing is the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of truth is the Holy Ghost. The Comforter is the Holy Ghost. The anointing will remove all burdens and destroy every yoke. And that includes physical yokes. That would include sickness and disease. Now, don't forget, the anointing is not something that's on the outside of you. You are filled with the Holy Ghost, and that means He's on the inside of you, residing in your spirit. Remember, you are a spirit being that possesses a soul, and your soul is your mind and your emotions, and you live in this physical body. So the Holy Spirit is in you. Not in your physical body, not just there. He's in you. He recreated you. And then He came in you. He is in your spirit. The love of God is just the Holy Spirit manifest. The joy of God is the Holy Ghost manifest. The peace of God is the Holy Ghost manifest in you. The anointing is in You, all of you, not just a preacher, not just an evangelist or someone that's a leader. The anointing is in every believer. Okay, so what is it? What is it for and what does it do? Number one, 
First John says the first thing the anointing does is to teach you. It says those who have the anointing know all things. Now that, that doesn't mean that you're suddenly all knowing like God. Okay? It means that you know right from wrong. It's the anointing on the inside of you that tells you something is just not quite right about that. Or, you know, I should do that. Or, I shouldn't do that. That's the anointing living on the inside of you. So the anointing is for leading and guiding and teaching us in every aspect of our life. And that's why it's so important, guys, that we talk to God and follow that inward witness in our spirit. Did you ever have what we call an unction? You know, that uh, nudging, that burning on the inside. Either do something or, or don't do something. We, we call it like an unexplainable conviction about something we've done maybe or something we should do. It's that mm, mm, on the inside of you. That, that is the anointing at work in you. That is there for you to teach you. Don't ignore that. Okay? So what else does the anointing do? Number two, let's read Luke 4, 18 through 19. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Hmm. Now let me think just a minute about that verse. It sounds a lot to me like being poor, being brokenhearted, being a captive, being blind... And being bruised, all of those things sound like forms of yoke to me. Bondage. But Isaiah ten twenty seven it says, The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And this is an Old Testament prophecy. Now, where it says shall be, that was a prophecy of when Jesus was to come. Jesus has now come, and so you change shall be into is. The yoke is destroyed because of the anointing. In other words, Jesus is saying this, poverty is a yoke, and I am anointed to destroy it. Brokenheartedness is a yoke, and I'm here to destroy it. Being captive to sin or sickness or demons or fear, those are all yokes. And I'm here with the yoke-destroying power and presence of God. I am here. He says, I'm here to get that burden off of your back. I am here to set you free. And notice, it doesn't say the yoke is removed. That's not what it said. Too many people are praying for God, remove this sickness, take away my fear. 
But if the, if the yoke is only removed, then there's this possibility, or, or I would say even expectation with people that it might come back. Okay, it says the yoke is what? Destroyed. Destroyed because of the anointing. Destroyed means wiped out. Gone. Obliterated. Made to be no more, right? So, if I just take that chair and remove it, I can put it back, right? But if I take that chair and I destroy it, it's gone. You can't put it back. The anointing destroys yokes. They're gone. But here, right here is where people miss it. Now pay attention. God has given us the power and the authority to do the things that we keep asking Him to do for us. He has already done His part. He sent Jesus. And then, on top of that, He gave us His Holy Spirit. And He set His anointing down on the inside of us. Now look, it's time for us to begin to walk in the power and authority that He has given us. That doesn't make us God. Don't get a God complex. That makes you a child of God. A partaker with Christ. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Through Christ, which strengthens me. If you're in Christ, there's an anointing for everything that you're called to do, no matter how small, no matter how big. If it's an unthinkable task, if you're called to it, Christ is in you, the anointed one, and His anointing gives you ability and power. Now I want to read it again. Paul said this. I can do all things through the anointed one and his anointing which strengthens me. In the King James translated, it doesn't say through Christ who strengthens me. It says through Christ which strengthens me. He was talking about the anointing. The anointing will empower you in your spirit, your soul, and your body, in every area of your life. And so read it again. It says, I can do all things through the anointed one and his anointing, which strengthens me. His anointing, which strengthens me. You see, it's not just any old anointing. It's the anointing of the anointed one. And it is, it's present within you to empower you. Now, the other transla- some other translations say, who strengthens me? And that who is just all-inclusive of who Christ is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
But if you still replace Christ with the anointed one and his anointing, it is referring to the anointing, the power of the anointing in you. Once you understand this, you're going to get a new light on the instructions that God's given you about how to conduct yourself. Here's, let me give you an example. Ephesians 4. Paul says all, all this. Listen to all these things that are scattered throughout Ephesians 4. It says, walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Do not sin, it says. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. It says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. All of that is scattered through Ephesians 4. Why do you think it's so important that we follow these instructions? Well, it says it right there. It is for Christ's sake. Right there. And I believe that's verse 32. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So when you say, for Christ's sake, that we follow all these instructions, you're really saying, for the anointing's sake. It's for the anointing's sake. It's so that power can be endued in your spirit. You do these things not to earn yourself some sort of salvation. You do it to keep power active in your spirit. The whole reason God gave you this power is so that He could put His burden-removing and yoke-destroying power in you and on you. And our calling is to keep ourselves in a place where we can be anointed at all times with Holy Ghost power. And so that everywhere we go, every moment of every day, we can be anointed to heal the sick, to cast out demons. Right? When we realize how important this is, guys, we'll stop a bunch of the junk that we do, a bunch of the junk that we say, because we will begin to know we have to protect that anointing that's, that's in us. It's for the anointing's sake. But now look, it gets even better. Number three, I have Luke 9, 1 through 2. It says this. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, we've talked about this before, but I'm, I'm want to remind you tonight, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. You see, Jesus, he did not operate in this earth as God. Though he was God, he did not operate in this earthly realm 
as God. He operated in this earth as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. Did you catch that? And guess what? You are anointed by that same Holy Spirit. Jesus was here in this earth and he spoke the word of God. And guess what? You have that same word of God to speak just as he spoke. Mark 3, 14 and 15 tells us that Jesus ordained his 12 disciples to heal the sick and cast out devils. So, not only did Jesus minister under the power and anointing of the Holy Ghost, but his disciples did too. They had power or anointing to heal people that the doctors said there was no hope for. And they cast out devils. These were his disciples. They were no different than me or you. Notice he gave them power, which means miraculous ability, might, and energy. And he also gave them authority, which is really delegated influence. So in other words, Jesus gave the disciples this He delegated influence to them and miraculous might and ability and energy. And that same dynamic power and authority that was in them, that he delegated to them, is also delegated to you. It's the Holy Spirit. And so, finally, I want to answer how... Does it work? You say, well, I understand that it's there. I understand the the anointing is there. It's on me. It's in me. I have the anointing in me. I'm pretty sure about how it works, what it's, I mean, what it's for. You know, it's to teach me and it's to break yoke and, and give me power to operate in this earth. But I don't know, I don't know how it works. How does it work? We know Jesus was anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit and most of the time he didn't heal people just by the anointing alone, right? For the most part, another person's the the other person's faith was also involved. When you read the gospels, you were not going to find in there where it says according to my faith be it done unto you. Not one single time did Jesus say to anyone, according to these apostles' faith, be it done unto you, right? You know, like from the the woman with the issue of blood, remember that story? And Jesus said to her, according to your faith, be it done unto you. So listen now. Get this. The power of God is inactive and passive. And I'll I'll use this word like inert until faith is exercised. 
The power of God is inactive and passive. Basically laying dormant until faith is exercised. But once God's power is activated, it will break every yoke. Every yoke. Every yoke. The power of God is not going to do anything just on its own. It's inactive until faith is mixed with it. Until somebody taps into believing and acting on the Word of God. You see, faith gives action to the anointing or the power of God. If there's no faith to give action to the anointing, nothing's going to happen. Listen, pretend like I have a fan. I have a fan, like a box fan right up here, right? Is it going to just work on its own? No, no. What do I have to do? Okay, plug it in. I have to plug it in. Okay, all right. So I'm going to plug it in. There, I plugged it in. Now it's plugged in. It's plugged in to the power source. That's the anointing. The power source is the anointing. The fan, that's me. I'm a fan. I'm the box fan. And I just plugged into the anointing. Now is it going to work? <laughs> no. It has the potential to work. It's connected to the source of power. The power is in it. But something else has to happen, right? You got to turn the switch on. That's your faith. That is my faith. I have to activate it. I have to turn the switch on. Turning on your faith activates the anointing. Did y'all draw a little picture of the fan? I'm the fan. You got this right. I'm the fan. Plugging it in gives me the anointing, the potential, but turning on the switch of faith is what makes it work. And do you know what will happen when you turn on your faith, when you activate the switch of your faith with the anointing? Your prayer changes from this sad, lifeless, just really a formality, going through the motions. It, the anointing changes that into energized, fire-filled conversation with the Creator. The anointing will take worship that is normally just a warm-up to a service, And it'll transform that into an invitation for the Holy Spirit to move in our services when the anointing is activated in our worship services. The anointing will take preaching that is monotonous and boring and it'll make it come alive and, it, and it'll be stimulating and it'll reach down into who we are by the anointing. The anointing will take your efforts to witness to someone, maybe just out of compulsion or, oh, i got to get my witnessing in this week. 
And the anointing will transform that into an electrifying, effective process. It'll cause effectiveness in your witnessing when you activate your faith with the anointing. And so how do you turn on this switch? So the key is to activate your faith, to turn your faith on. But how do you turn that faith on? I'm going to give you the key to activating the anointing in your personal life and in this corporate connection that you have here at Compass Church. The Holy Spirit has always been and will always be. And in the, in the Old Testament, God initiated the anointing like on certain people for certain jobs. Like, for instance, David was anointed by God to be king. Or Elijah was anointed by God to be a prophet. And in the Gospels, Jesus was anointed to be the Savior and walk as a man. Anointed, an anointed man as an example to us. And God still does that. He appoints people and, and imparts to them a special anointing for a certain task or a certain job. But on the day of Pentecost, listen to me, the anointing was given to every one of us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. To exercise our anointing, we have to exercise our faith and we have to exercise our relationship with Christ through the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. In other words, we have to stir it up. I'll say stir it up. We have to stir it up. So where, where have we as the church fallen short of our anointing? The church has fallen short by not teaching about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and exercising the manifestation of those gifts. So, where do we start? We start, we start with prayer. Now, I'm not talking about just petitions of prayer. I'm talking about praying in the Spirit. Praying in other tongues. Individually and corporately. Stir it up. And let me just add this. Another key to that anointing to work is our expectation. When we pray, then we believe, and then we expect to happen what we've just prayed. We have got to stir up the activity in our spirit. Did you know two people can come to a service, the same church service, and sing the same songs, and hear the same message, and one of those people will get saved and healed and delivered, and then the other one will walk out and say, well, that was pretty dry. Why do you think that is? It's because of expectation. 
We need to come into this place every service and expect God to move. Expect Him to move. We need to expect to hear from God and know that our prayers are answered. We need to expect healing power to flow when we lay hands on the sick. Not hope, not a maybe. Expect what the Word says to be true. Faith is just pretending that, not pretending, believing that what God said is really true. And then acting on it. The switch to turning on the anointing is praying in the Spirit. So when I turn on that switch on that fan and that anointing starts flowing, the way I do that is praying in the Spirit. Activating our faith and setting our expectations. I want to tell you a quick story. I was going to the bank today. I was in the drive-thru and I was, I mean, I I was headed to the bank. So I I got in the car from my house and I said, well, I'm going to drive through the bank to make this deposit. And so I was just meditating on this message because I wanted to really be able to convey to you all the importance of turning on activating your faith so that you can activate the anointing in your life. And the way you do that is to stir up your faith, stir yourself up by praying in the Spirit. And so I got in my car, I'm headed to the bank, and, and I said I'm, to myself, I'm going to pray in the Spirit. Now, do you know at first, I was like, Ugh, I don't want to do this. You know, it just, I'm driving and I'm in traffic and, you know, I don't want to be out here praying in the Spirit. But I intentionally stirred myself up. This is what I'm talking about when I'm saying stir it up. You have to be intentional. You have to, when you go to the gym, there are days when you say, I don't want to go. I don't feel like it. I've got this, this, and this excuse. And so I'm not, uh-uh, I don't want to go today. And then you have to press in and do it very intentionally to be able to get it done. Even when it's not convenient, even when your flesh doesn't want to. And so that's where I was. I knew I needed to pray this out in the Spirit But I was just like, I don't want to. And so I got in my car and I started driving. I said, well, I'm going to do it. So I began to stir myself up. And I'm praying in the Spirit, in the car, driving by myself. And I'm just praying out loud in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Intentionally. Praying in the Spirit. Allowing the Holy Spirit to get stirred up in my spirit. To allow that anointing to stir up. And I just, I kept on, I kept on, I kept on. It takes about 15 minutes to get from my house to the bank. And so about halfway through, 
I began to feel that anointing stirring on the inside of me, and it was just stirred up. And it was no longer me with this bad attitude and, you know, like, I don't want to do this. Suddenly, I didn't want to stop. The anointing was so powerful inside that car, inside my spirit. It began to flow. Instead of it being, uh, you know, a burden, then suddenly it was flowing and I didn't want to stop. And so I kept on going to the bank and I'm driving and got the deposit. I'm still just praying out loud in the spirit, praying in tongues. And I get to the bank, circle around the bank, get in line. And I'm praying in the spirit, but in my natural mind, I'm thinking I need to stop. Because, like, I've got to pull up to this window right here, and they're going to be looking at me. And, but I didn't want to stop. And so I pulled up to the window finally and rolled the window down, and the the guy put the drawer out to take my um, deposit. And I'm still praying in the Spirit, and I just got quiet under my breath, continuing to pray. The guy looks at me, hey, Miss Michelle, how are you doing today? I could not speak in English to him. Because I did not want to turn the anointing flow off, I could not speak to the guy. I could have... The anointing and speaking in tongues is not forceful in a way that you can't stop. You have to yield to that. And I was just remaining in a yielding state to that flow, and I didn't want to stop it. And therefore, I could not speak to this guy in English. So I'm praying in my, under my breath, sort of, still in tongues, and I just have to wave at this guy at the window who I normally really talk to a lot. I just waved him off. And he did my deposit, and I'm still praying in the car. He probably thought I was singing a song or something. I I hope that's what he thought, because I have to see him again. (laughs) I just continued to pray and pray. And I got finished. I pulled out, and the anointing in that car was so strong. And when I pulled out of there, and I opened back up in, you know, normal voice, That flow of the Spirit was so amazing. It was so powerful. I just, I wish you guys, I hope you experienced that in your life. And then I had to go to Chick-fil-A and get me some lunch. And I was like, I've got to stop. So in my natural mind, at some point, I just said, okay, I've got to stop. And, And I turned it off. And you notice, I turned the switch off to that flow of the anointing through, through the, uh, speaking the, the speaking in tongues. I turned that off. But I want you to know, there is power. There is clarity that will flow into your spirit when you pray something out in the spirit. Clarity will come. Words of wisdom will come. Words of knowledge will come. Prophecy will come. 
And I'm not talking about big church stuff, you know, like a prophet. I'm just talking about in your own personal life, direction, decisions, things will become clear to you. You will hear your spirit speaking to you. You will hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You have a spirit. You are a spirit. And your spirit is speaking to you all the time. And if your spirit is being led by the Holy Spirit, you can count on that to be a good guide for you. We're going to talk more about that next week. But right now, I just uh, I feel like a, I have a burden that we need to pray, and we need to pray in the Spirit. And so, Mindy, could you come up here? And we're just going to pray this thing out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.